Welcome to Formula 101. I'm Peyton, and this is not your average race recap of Formula 1 races. I'm going to be talking about a lot of exciting things both on and off the track, and I'm so happy you guys are listening with me. Uh this is going to be a fun ride, so thanks for coming along. So today we are back with another episode of my little mini series, the ABCs of F1. Today we are going to be doing letters J through L. And if this is your first time listening to me, thank you for listening first of all and welcome. Uh so this little series I do in conjunction with my longer 30-minute episodes. These are shorter, about 15 minutes, and what I really want to do is break down a lot of the complicated terms that are thrown around in this sport. I personally felt that F1 was difficult to jump into as a new fan because there's so much jargon and so much language that is used on the daily by commentators and drivers and journalists and you know and everybody talking about the sport. So this is my avenue to break down those terms to make them easy to understand and therefore make your viewing experience a lot more exciting. And now before I jump in, I hope some of you have been watching Drive to Survive, uh the Netflix show, the documentary series. I think I am 7 episodes in. I watched uh episode 7 last night. I'm taking it a little slower than some people. I know some are binging the whole thing, uh but I'm I'm taking it a little slower. So I hope some of you are watching that. But now we're going to start off with the J terms. As I said, this is the ABCs. We're starting with J. And the only term that I want to highlight right here is jump start. But I actually want to start with another sport when it comes to the term jump start. So let's go to football or American football in this case. So if you've watched it, you might have heard the referees say something about a false start. And this is usually when an offensive player moves before the hiker snaps the ball to the quarterback and starts the play. So essentially he's moving before he should have. And now this really applies to F1 in kind of the same way. They're just rebranding it and translating it using the word jump start. So on the grid, the drivers have these little boxes that they put their car in when they're waiting for the lights to go out. So when they roll up to the grid, there's these kind of I don't know, they're similar to what they what the boxes look like in the pits. They're kind of three connected white lines and they form this rectangular space that the drivers are supposed to put their car. So after the installation lap, they're coming back to the grid to line up for the actual start of the race. And they line up and and slot into these respective spots that they have achieved through their qualifying results. So there's also actually a yellow line that you'll see towards the front of this grid box. If you take a kind of overhead look of the grid, you'll see that there's this yellow linear uh structure that is also incorporated into the grid box and that has a special meaning. So this is a reference point essentially for the drivers. It's where their front wheels need to line up. So when the drivers are sitting in the cockpit, they can't see the front of their car. It's not like a road car where you can kind of look over the you can see over the hood and you know generally where the front of your car is. They can't do that cuz it slopes down at such an angle and obviously they have the front wing there. Uh, so it's there's a barrier. They can't see exactly where the front of their car is. So this yellow line is meant to be a point in which to 
compare where their car is and to see if they're in the right spot, if they're all the way in the box, if they're not off center, because if they're not in the right spot, then they can easily get penalized by the FIA and, you know, all of those problems ensue from one little mistake. Now, I said there was only one J term. We're going to move right on to the K terms. The first one here is KERS. That's K-E-R-S, and it stands for Kinetic Energy Recovery System. So this is a system that is part of the power unit as a whole. I've spoken about how the power unit is essentially this like umbrella term for the whole sum of the engine's parts, that there are various components that get the car moving. I think there's five or six that go into the power unit as a whole. And the KERS system was introduced even before the hybrid era in 2014, and has obviously undergone changes and regulation tweaks since then, but the general kind of functionality or purpose of this system has largely remained the same. So it works to collect energy, yeah, collect energy that is expelled during braking into corners. So the energy that is collected from that, from that action is harvested and directed toward the car's electric motor. And this is then converted into electric energy and stored in the car's batteries, which they're able to use throughout the race when they want. So the system, when it was initially introduced, it was actually entirely driver controlled. So each pilot had the authority to determine when they wanted to use this. And they had a button on their steering wheel that they would push to activate it. And it would give them this extra burst of power from that collected energy that was stored in the battery. So that means that the driver would need to take into account what was going on around them and decide how to best use that source of energy, those couple kind of that power boost, essentially. They could use it for, you know, an overtake or for defending, even during qualifying if they wanted to get a faster lap. But a lot of times it was best utilized for the very start of the race when they could put down that extra power the moment the lights went out. So you were starting essentially with a power boost over other people. Now it's obviously 2021. Things have changed since this was introduced a decade ago and energy and hybrid technologies have advanced greatly. And the purpose of using systems like KERS have become more intelligent, more sophisticated, just more advanced overall. And the KERS system has really molded and transformed into what is referred to now as the ERS, the energy recovery system. Essentially, they just took the kinetic off of it. And then it also kind of involves both the MGUH and the MGUK, which are heat and kinetic portions of the power unit. And it also involves the engine modes and mapping, which I think I spoke about in another episode of uh, the ABCs. But now it's more semi-automated. The drivers still do have some control over portions of it, but it's also controlled and regulated by the very advanced computers that kind of collect all of this data and then put it to use. Now, the second K term is curbs, and this is spelled both K-E-R-B-S as well as what kind of we assume here in America to be C-U-R-B-S, but they're, they're pretty much interchangeable. So in F1, curbs are pretty much present at every single track, but they're more pronounced at some places than others, 
and some are frankly more dangerous than others. And when I say they're dangerous, I feel like that's a bit of an oxymoron to follow it up with saying that curbs are really out there for the safety of the drivers. So its first purpose, the first primary job of these curbs is to slow drivers down in super fast corners. So they're placed in specific locations for that reason. And their position on the ground, actually, is that they lie in between the racetrack and the adjoining area along the track. So they're more kind of along the perimeter of the actual asphalt or the tarmac, whatever makes up the track itself, the dark material, but they're not, they're not in the gravel trap or in that runoff area. They're that kind of limiter or barrier between those two. So drivers need to make sure that they don't go off the designated track limits. That's something you'll see at specific tracks, drivers having more issues with rather than others. But when they're driving, you know, you have to stay on the track. You can't cut corners everywhere you want. You can't take shortcuts. You know, a driver can cut a corner and if they gain a position during the race, the FIA rules say that they have to give that position back. You can't go off track and gain an advantage. That's caused a lot of issues. You know, we saw that, I think, with Oh, where was it? I think it was in France last year, a couple years ago, where Sebastian and Lewis had that really big touch and Sebastian was leading the race and he went on the grass and the FIA deemed that he had gained an advantage coming back on the track and so he lost his win. So you can see how obviously there's gray area in this, but nonetheless, the point being is that the drivers have to stay within the limits of the track and keep in mind that these curbs can tell them where those limits are as well. So there's a give and take with the curbs. They have the, you know, they serve a lot of good purposes, but they do have their drawbacks. So we can start with the good and say that yes, in some cases, knocking a curb at the right angle or at the right place can actually help speed the car up, which I wanna do more research into. I'm interested to see how hitting a curb can do good for you, but I, I assume there has to be a reason for that. And so the main type of curb, or often the one that's the most common, plays a role in the good purpose of curbs. And they're often referred to as a rumble strip. And it is a ribbed section of this curb that causes the car to rumble or vibrate when the wheels roll over it. So it actually serves to help the drivers to locate the apex of the corner which in turn allows them to go through turns at higher speeds with higher efficiency. So they feel this vibration under their cars. They feel that, you know, you hear the drivers on the radio complain about vibrations a lot of times in a bad way, but if they roll over these rumble strips at the right place, at the right angle, and they feel that vibration, they can know that they're hitting the apex where they should be because that rumble strip is placed specifically for that purpose. But now as noted, there are some downsides to curbs. There is some bad to it because hitting a curb can ruin lap times or qualifying times, whatever. It can take a driver out of the race entirely if they hit it bad enough. And the main reason why drivers avoid a lot of curbs is because it can damage the underside of the car or the floor. It can snap your suspension entirely if you hit it at the wrong angle and hard enough. 
Now, the most notorious of all the curbs, which sounds funny to say, is the sausage curb, which is even funnier to say. But these are usually placed in a high-speed corner and are generally yellow in color. But they're raised up from the ground a lot more than others and have caused quite a bit of controversy over the years for some scary crashes that have occurred when drivers hit them. Now, lastly, let's move on to the L terms, first of which is the lockup. So this is a term that I've said a lot, but never really quite defined. I might have spoken about it in my episode where I talked about all things tires. But regardless, it's used to describe a driver braking sharply and locking one or more tires while the others continue rotating. So it harkens back to the role of temperature and heat in tires, like how we see the cars weaving back and forth before they restart or roll up to the grid. They do that to get heat into the rubber or the tires so that they have the grip they need to go as fast as possible. Now in translating this to the brakes of an F1 car, F1 cars don't have anti-lock braking systems like road cars do, and this means that the drivers are responsible for applying the right amount of brakes or brake power pressure when they go into a corner. They have to try and make sure they have enough heat in their tires and that their brake discs are ready to go. They have to find that sweet spot because if they don't, problems occur. One of them being this lockup where the wheel literally locks up and stops turning. And a locked wheel can't steer. You can't apply the right amount of braking force to it like you would with a normal rotating tire. And it usually occurs on the unloaded wheel, which is the one on the inside of the corner. And this is because that wheel doesn't have as much weight pushing onto it or pushing it into the track. So it's much easier for it to stop rotating and lock up. And these lockups, you know, result in flat spots and damages to the tire, slowing the car down and just overall hurting their race. Now, the last L term is pretty easy. It's lapped. And this term obviously does not solely apply to F1, but in racing, it has certain characteristics. So we know lapped as when a car in the backfield is overtaken by the leader or a super fast car towards the front of the field, making them a full lap behind the person in first place. And this is not uncommon in F1, but it doesn't necessarily happen at every race. Uh, But especially now with Mercedes being so dominant, the disparity between them and, say, teams at the bottom of the barrel like Williams, seeing the back markers lapped is a lot more probable than just kind of a thing that happens occasionally. And those cars at the front are usually running maybe two, three, four seconds faster than those in the back. And depending on the number of laps at the race, that difference can rack up pretty quickly and see the leader overtaking those in last place. I think, you know, there was one time, maybe two or three seasons ago, where the Mercedes of Lewis Hamilton was lapping up to like the top 10. It was really wild. Things were going badly for a lot of those in the back. And he was really high in the order in terms of lapping people. And I made a post on my social media saying that I didn't think it was particularly exciting to see this happen. And that it signaled kind of a larger issue competition-wise in the sport that was being allowed to grow to kind of a too high of a level. And the only thing that that post got me was hate messages calling me the fun police. So I guess you can't win them all, especially when it comes to lapped cars and Mercedes fans. Now that's all for today. Thank you for this one again. I'm glad that you guys were here to listen. 
I will see you again in two weeks with another full-length episode. So thank you again and have a great week.